You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh, I serve as community pastor at the Executive Council here, and I am really excited to see so many of your faces. Some of you I've seen you throughout the weeks, trickled since I've been here. Some of you I'm seeing for the first time. Nice to see you all. <laughs> it's nice to be able to meet so many of you, um, and hopefully we get to mingle some more and talk after service. Um, have you ever played Jenga? We, played, we had the hand raising earlier, so have you ever played Jenga? Throw up your hand if you played it. That's an overwhelming majority of us who play Jenga. Yeah, so as you can see, uh, this sort of Jenga game situated over here. If you haven't played, if one of you were one of the few hands that hadn't, uh, it's 54 blocks that are placed together, and the point is basically everybody tries to get the blocks out without making it fall. And whoever makes it fall loses, and everyone else wins. Isn't it nice? It's one of the few games where like, there can be only one loser and a bunch of uh, winners. Uh, probably maybe why Mac liked it? I don't know. Mac? Anybody? Nothing? I love this game for many, for many of those reasons. So I want you to think about this morning that this Jenga tower that I really hope I don't, I don't knock over anytime soon because this table is very wobbly and wood and fire could be an interesting morning. <laughs> but I want you to think about this, this tower here as a construction of your belief system. Uh, you grew up and your parents and your teachers and your Sunday school teachers and your pastors, the media you watched, the books that you consumed, everybody kind of had an idea of the human they wanted to construct to grow up and be an adult. They had an idea of who they wanted you to be, what they wanted you to look like, who, how they wanted you to believe, maybe what they wanted you to accomplish, um, all of these things. They had, I had a construct in mind. Now, what happens for a lot of us, right, when I, when I grew up... Um, my tower had a lot of holes in it along the journey where people would sort of poke at it and prod at it and they would sort of ask certain questions about things that I had never thought about. So, for instance, you know, I was raised to believe that being gay was wrong. But despite the adults in my life who tried to teach me that, there were other adults and other messages throughout my life that started to make me ask the question, is it really a sin to be gay? Now, I was also raised to do my chores and get average grades and to respect my parents. My parents had very, like, manageable expectations. They, they knew I wasn't going to be, like, a, you know, straight-A student. Just not who I am. And <laughs> so the beauty of this is, is they also had ideas of what I was to believe, right? So I was also taught things by my pastors and by my church and underscored by my family that, really, the Bible was the inerrant word of God that God died on the cross for me so that I would have the forgiveness of my sins because apparently God needs to beat someone up in order to forgive. That was the narrative that I heard. I was told very much so um, that I was inherently sinful and the only way that I would be forgiven was if I asked God to forgive me and if God forgave me, then if I continued to habitually sin, well, then the God didn't forgive that. I had to actually stop the sin. I couldn't keep persisting in the sin. Well, this, this all was hard and tense for me because, yes, the, the gay block came, but before the gay block ever really came, I started to question things like, I always try to find the loose one, um, like, you know, all the women in the church seem to do all the work, but they don't seem to have any titles or roles or responsibility. They don't seem to be at the table to make the decisions. 
and then I and then I started a little bit in undergrad. I started I started learning a little bit about the reality of uh, how the Bible was used to enforce slavery and to promote that idea. And I began to think to myself, well, if the Bible was used to promote slavery and we no longer use it for those purposes in the West, then maybe the Bible is used to oppress gay people as well. See, I started to have a little bit of a wobblier tower, right? I started to have some, some, some holes, some blocks missing, and I, and I didn't really know what to do with all of that. I, my tower was a little less stable as life went on. Now, now some of us in our lives, we, some people kind of poke at our tower. They make us question our beliefs and the things and the ways we were constructed by others. And we're like, whoa, 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 back it up. Like, I, I don't want any holes. I don't want any questions. I don't want any doubts. I don't want you to, to tear apart my belief system. Just leave me alone. I don't want to be with or around or read anything that's other than my belief system that's been constructed. And maybe they even build a wall around the tower. But others of us were not always given that luxury. Probably many of us here at Forefront, you, you sit here today, many of you coming out of evangelical movements, Catholic movements, um, or even just other faiths and religions, and you found this place because for some reason there were some holes in your tower and the place that you existed no longer, you quite fit there anymore. You didn't know what to do with all that. And for some of us in this space today, you had so many missing towers, you had so many missing holes and places in this tower that eventually, the whole thing <laughs> came down. Also, do you see how close we were to a fire? Yeah, praise be. Okay. Bless. <laughs> now that's something to deconstruct. Um, Many of us find ourselves right here at a place of, of deconstruction. There wasn't just some holes in the tower, but eventually we find ourselves at a place where the whole tower just falls and we find ourselves sitting right in the midst of the rubble. I have news for you, the church. Uh, this is not a new thing. This is not a new concept. We, the new word deconstruction, that's sort of the buzzword in Christian circles, but it also is extending well beyond the Christian circle now into mainstream spaces. This is not a new thing. We've been doing this life cycle throughout all of Christian history. The sort of motions and these, these ebbs and these flows and these deconstructing of ideas and, and sort of the perfecting of community and society and taking a few steps forward and a few steps back. We've been doing this for a while. Those who were early followers of Jesus, that's exactly what happened. Today I want us to zero in on a particular time in history when Peter and the disciples, their whole tower comes down. The way in which they've been constructed to believe and the, and the holes and the blocks that Jesus sort of poked in their tower, eventually it all crumbles and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to proceed. We're going to start today, uh, this is a new tradition here at Forefront. Uh, how many of you have, have, uh, have seen people do Advent candles? We do Advent candles here uh, where there's four candles during Advent time, right? And each week we, we light a different candle. And then on Christmas Eve, we light the Christ candle, which is the white candle in the middle. And it's a symbol and sign that the light of Christ has come. There's this growing light of Christ that's coming. Well, we're going to start a new tradition of extinguishing a candle for each week of the six weeks of Lent. And it's the idea that the light is getting dimmer and darker, and so each week a candle will be extinguished, and on Good Friday we will extinguish the Christ candle as a symbol of the light of Christ going out during this Lenten season. And then on Easter, all the light comes back. So this morning, let's extinguish the first candle 
as a sign that the first week of Lent Okay, I wonder if that would work. As the first week of Lent is now behind us, it's a little bit darker. It's a little bit more grimmer. I imagine for some of us in our own lives, as we've gone through our own deconstruction of our lives, that sometimes it feels a little dim, it feels a little dark when the tower starts to wobble. It feels a little uncertain. And that's exactly how I believe that Peter felt and the early disciples when they began to take their own journey of deconstruction in their lives. I mean, these, these guys... Uh, they, 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 they left everything to follow Jesus. They had been taught certain ideas of who and what God was, and guess what? The tower fell for them, and they didn't know what to do with what to move with next. Sometimes Jesus would often explain to them things, and he would, he would tell them parables or, or rethink the way they thought of things. He would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he would, re, he would reform their ideas in the way in which they think about things. And a lot of times the disciples wouldn't get it. The, the, the scriptures would tell us that it said, and they did not understand. And sometimes it would say, they didn't understand, and so they asked, what does that mean? And he would explain, and sometimes it was like, he still didn't get it. And, and I think that's kind of the beauty of being a part of a faith community. And it, Forefront isn't the first people to invent this idea of living into a community that asks questions and doesn't have all the answers. They're asking those good questions. But, but we are the ones who've learned, I think, to, to characterize it in a way that makes sense and is tangible. Because reality was, was the disciples had lots of questions as Jesus poked at the tower of their beliefs. But they had very few answers. And there was much mystery and uncertainty that they lived into continually. But more than that, I think about Mary and Joseph. And how their whole construction of who God was and their plans for God's life, for God's plans for their life, was completely torn apart. Their ideas of marriage got poked at, their ideas of sexual ethics, of the divine, of what was holy, of how God works, about why God works through certain people, and what the Messiah would be like, totally shattered the worldview. And for them, like many of us, it also shattered their relationships. Many of their family could not understand and accept and embrace them and their understanding of who God was. And eventually, even the faith community that they were part of ostracized them and kicked them out because they didn't quite believe what was orthodox. The tower of their beliefs fell, and they didn't know where to go or what to do or what to believe either. I also think about Mary Magdalene, this bold and courageous woman who, who has completely deconstructed her faith to the point that she is so desperate to figure out who God is and what a better plan is for her life that she throws herself into a room full of men which she would have never been allowed into. The courage that that would have taken to throw yourself into a room full of men who would have looked at you with disdain and perhaps may even raise their hand to you. And she walks into that bold room believing that there's at least one man in that room that will stand up and defend her. And she touches him, which would have been heard unheard of also in that culture. And she puts perfume on his feet and she cries onto his toes and she wipes it with her hair. And there is this intimate moment because she's at this point in her life when the tower has fallen so much that she has nothing left to lose. She's been told by society that her best days are behind her. She's been told by purity culture that she's unlovable now, that she's tainted goods. She's been told that, that women have no place amongst the men. She's been told that this Jesus sitting in this room, that he sits with women at wells and talks to them when other men turn a blind eye. That this man, Jesus, who sits in this room with these men, that he doesn't mind if a woman menstruating touches him. He doesn't consider himself unclean after such an act. So this man 
she knows she can go forward. That he'll talk to her. That she can touch him. That the tower of her beliefs that have fallen, that perhaps in his presence he can put something new together for her. He can help her make sense of the rubble that lies all around her. But Andrew, Peter, James, and John, these are four brothers. They too had their lives completely deconstructed and unsure what to do. Their towers fell. They, they were fishing and they had a family business. And the Bible tells us that, that when they were fishing, they were fishing with their dad and they were, they were repairing some nets. And that's when Jesus came upon them and they, they left their dad's business. They left the nets behind and they went and they followed Jesus into this new adventure. And, and I wondered to myself how, how the father must have felt when his, all four of his kids left the family business. I wonder what strife that would have created in that relationship. I wonder how they would have felt to know that, that they weren't just leaving to go and, and to go to some rabbinical school or something and, and be you know, the, the sort of prized pastor's child of the family or something, right? They're not feeling that. No, 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 no. I imagine he's wondering, you're leaving to follow this rogue, bronze-skinned Galilean who's teaching a progressive version of Judaism that's going to get you killed. What are you doing? But there was something in Jesus enough that it poked the towers of their belief system of how their father had instructed them that they said, this isn't working for us, but what Jesus is teaching, something about him, something about how his radical progressive message is different than how I was constructed to believe. I want to leave it all and follow. And so they do. But guess what? Even though their tower falls and the beliefs, or their whole belief system is crumbling around them, it gets worse. In the midst of it all, Jesus is killed. And on Easter, in a few weeks, hard to believe it's that close away, we will stop and we will reflect on, on the pain and the sorrow that the loss of Jesus was for that community. But for in this very moment, they didn't know what to do. They thought, okay, so we've left everything. We've, 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 we've deconstructed all of our beliefs. We, we, we bought into everything that he said to us. And now he's gone. He's killed. The one who gave us life has no life anymore. Are all the things he taught us even true? Did we just waste the last three years? And so what do they do? When you don't know what to do, you often go back to the most familiar thing. Don't you? John chapter 21 tells us that when Jesus finds them after his resurrection, he finds them out fishing. So often when you don't know what to do and life has just dealt you so many different cards and you're just scrambling and your mind's a blur, sometimes it's easier just to default back to what was comfortable and convenient and familiar. And so after Jesus' death... That's exactly where Jesus finds them, out on the water fishing. And the Bible tells us that they couldn't catch a single fish all night. I wonder if they were talking and chitter-chattering about all the things that they had been forced to rethink and if those things were really true and honest anymore. And they see Jesus, and so they come in onto the shore, and the Bible tells us that, that they knew it was Jesus, even from afar. And they sat around, and Jesus had made them dinner. And after dinner, Jesus calls Peter to the side, and he asks him some questions. Remember that, that Peter, his life and his faith is likely just in a pile of rubble. He is the one that Jesus said, on you, I, you are the rock of the church, I will build my church. Yet he's the one who denied Jesus twice, twice, three times when it got hot and heavy. And I'm sure he's like, oh, yeah, Jesus is here, he's, he's going to chastise me. He's going to revoke the prophecy over my life. But that's not what happens. Look what happens. Jesus asks him this question. He says, Simon, in verse 15, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Master, I love you. Then feed my lambs, he says. He then asks a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Yes, Master, you know I love you, Jesus said. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus responds. One last time. He said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked for a third time. Do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. In the midst of Peter's, Peter's crisis of faith, full of questions, more questions than he has answers, in the midst of, of him probably trying to reckon with the fact that he's supposed to be the rock of the church, yet it seems like his faith is so flimsy, yet amidst his own grief of denying Jesus, yet amidst after just being a simple fisherman who never went to Torah school, never had training, just followed this rogue rabbi for three years, Jesus doesn't ask him, do you believe that I am the Son of God? Jesus doesn't ask him, do you believe that I died on the cross for your sins? Jesus doesn't ask him, do you still believe in the Ten Commandments? Jesus doesn't ask him anything about his beliefs. Jesus asks him one question three times. Peter, do you love me? I think Jesus knew that all Peter would need in order to build the church, in order to have a strong faith that both fed himself and fed others, all that Peter needed was at his core was to love Jesus. But amidst the doubts and the questions and the fragmented beliefs and the deconstructed faith and the church trauma and the family rejection, all that Peter really needed, it wasn't a set of very clear beliefs and a faith that made absolute sense that had all the answers. No, it was one thing. One thing three times. Peter, do you love me? And it's with that simple question that Jesus gives Peter faith and belief that his tower, he can rebuild something beautiful with it. I, like many of you in this room, I, I, have, I went through a journey of sort of deconstructing my own faith and not sure what to do with these blocks. Now, after you play Jenga one round, there's always the next question, right? Do you want to play again? <laughs> right? Do you want to play again? It's like, and there's always that person in the group is like, I'll play again if someone else rebuilds the tower. Right? <laughs> And there's another person who's like, well, if we all rebuild it, like, everybody get your hands in there, then, like, we can play another round, right? And then there's some people who are like, I'm over it. Like, I don't want to play again. <laughs> and reality is, is I think a lot of us in our faith, we do the same thing when our tower falls. For some of us, we'll do the faith thing again if someone else just rebuilds it for us and just tells us what to believe again. Some of us will go from fundamentalism conservatism that's very strict about certain beliefs, and then we just become a fundamentalist liberal. It's just as rigid and straight of a tower, just as stuck in our way, just as, as closed-minded as it used to be, just a different set of beliefs that you adopted from someone else, that someone else built for you, and you go, that sounds good, I'm signing on for that. We don't have to think about it, we just play again. And for some of us, I think we just learn to just sit in this little rubble right here, and we know exactly what we don't believe, but we have no idea what we do believe. And we look around and we go, well, I don't believe any of these things that are around me anymore. Maybe I believe one of these things, but what am I supposed to do with that? That's not a tower anymore. And, and I want to call us this morning to think of something as we begin this Lenten season over the next six weeks. I want us to begin to think about, take the next six weeks of Lent and consider where are you in your own spiritual journey? Does your tower have a few holes in it? Are you just starting a questioning journey? Has the whole thing fallen and you've been sitting there for a long time or a little bit of time looking around just going, I don't even know if there's anything left to rebuild or do anything with here anymore. 
I don't even know if I want to play again. I don't even know if I want to go to church anymore. I don't even know if this even means anything anymore. I don't even know what guides me or grounds me or what my values are. I don't know any of these things. I, I don't know where you are, but I, I want to challenge you for the next six weeks to, to take an inward journey as we are on our way to Easter and ask ourselves, where am I? What are my next steps? Because I can tell you right now, I, I think there is a season and a time when we all need to sit with this and we grieve it. I know I did. When I grieved all the things that I believed that I felt foolish for believing, all the things that I lost out on, all the people that I hurt by believing it and perpetuating those beliefs to others, the people's towers who I constructed according to the beliefs I had been built, I sat in this rubble and I grieved it. But the only reason I have a faith today and I'm here still pastoring is because I decided that instead of building a tower, that I was going to build a path. Because the path for me was beautiful. Because the reality was, was I could, I could still have a path and I could move these blocks anytime I wanted without the whole thing falling down again. Because sometimes it's not a, a tight, neat, close-knit worldview and ideas that we need to build against. Sometimes it's just enough to stand on. Sometimes it's just enough as one question three times, do you love me? At the core of my being, when I tried to reconstruct my faith, the one thing I knew at my core was that I love Jesus Jesus loved me, and I was super gay. <laughs> and I needed to figure out how to get all those things together on the path. And that was enough. And the beauty of this path is that as I walk on this journey here, there are certain things that I look back on on the path. I may never walk on those blocks again, but they're still a part of the path. They're still a part of me and who brought me to who I am up here. And there may be beliefs that I was taught 20 or 30 years ago that 20 years from now I may go, you know what, I'm going to reach back here and that was actually really valuable and I didn't realize I needed that then. And I'm actually going to reintegrate it into my path moving forward. And I can move these around without anything falling or tumbling. And I can move around and look back and not be spiteful of the journey behind but be grateful for the way it's led me to where I am and to know it's all a part of me, my story. So on your table, I, you, may, you have several things, and I, and I want you to consider over the next six weeks of Lent, maybe you haven't picked up a devotional book since your tower fell. <laughs> maybe you haven't picked up your Bible. I don't know what that looks like for you. But I, I'm going to encourage you to take this wilderness journey over the next six weeks as this devotional book coincides with our sermon series. As we look inward of what it looks like to walk through the dark nights of the soul and the questions and the doubts and the hard times to construct and make something new and beautiful. So I encourage you and challenge you Maybe consider that using that book. Also consider, encourage, and challenge you. Maybe this is a time to reconnect into community again. To allow people to help you in your reconstruction and rebuilding and reorienting of your faith and your belief process. Maybe it's the time to trust one or two people again. And maybe go to a neighborhood hangout and begin to say, maybe I'm going to open up and let myself explore what the church means and what these people believe. And maybe that's something that I want to believe. To take the journey to not rebuild the tower, but to build a path. To build a path forward into something new and something beautiful. So I want to invite you this morning to spend the next six weeks of Lent leading up to Easter considering where you are with your tower of your beliefs. What are the next steps for you reconstructing your faith out of the rubble to make a path forward? Amen? And amen.
Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.